Welcome to Clarity to Launch, the podcast. I'm your host, Natanya Bravo, founder of the Bravo Life, business and mindset coach, and a woman on a mission to help you acknowledge that internal whisper and gain the clarity you need to launch a life you truly love. Years ago, I followed my own whisper and took a leap of faith, leaving behind a six-figure salary and everything I knew to fulfill a one-day dream of moving to Paris. That one tough decision led me to creating a seven-figure business, marrying the love of my life, and helping thousands of women use their passions to uncover their purpose and create the income and impact they were born to. It all boiled down to one decision. Was I going to keep telling myself one day or make today day one? Now it's your turn to decide. Clarity to Launch is here to give you the tools you need to guide you along the way. All you have to do is decide. So are you ready? It's time to launch the life you were born to live. Hello, and welcome back to Clarity to Launch the Podcast. I am excited to be joined by Nora Rahimian today. She is an anti-capitalist business coach who helps creatives and entrepreneurs achieve success on their own terms. She also is the co-founder and CEO of Culture Fix, a global network of artists, activists, and entrepreneurs who use their platforms for social impact. And she produces an annual hip hop festival dedicated to giving independent musicians a meaningful platform. You obviously do so much and why I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you for being here, Nora. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about our conversation. Yeah. So my first question, which I didn't ask before we started recording, because I'm like, I'm sure everyone has this question is what is an anti-capitalist business coach? I get this question all the time. (laughs) Um, Ideally, right, we live in a world where all of our survival and human needs are met and we don't have to labor or work to survive. Mm. Fortunately, that's not the world that we live in. And so I think a lot of us have to are balancing kind of those two dualities of I need to work to make money so I can have health care in the U.S. and pay my rent and all that kind of stuff. But also it's sucking my soul dry and I'm unhappy and I'm miserable and I'm not able to be present in my community and all these things. And so as an anti-capitalist business coach, I really help people think about how they can build business on their own terms Mm -hmm. so that they're not living to work, but they can work to live. And in that process, wait, did I get that twist in? They're not. Yeah, they're working. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so as an anti-capitalist business coach, it's really about um, thinking differently about how we do business. It doesn't have to be the way that it's always been done and that we can do it without doing more harm to our communities, to ourselves, to our um, environment and things like that. So it really is a different way of thinking about entrepreneurship and all these other things, really a, a much more holistic, uh, people-centered way. Yeah. Okay. I have lots of questions about that, but before we get into that, I'd love to hear, how did you get into becoming an anti-capitalist business coach? What's your background? How did you end up here? By accident, really the true story is by accident. So my background is in community organizing. I've done gang intervention and prison abolition work, uh, for a long time. That was like my core. And as like a 20 year old, I thought that I was going to like move to Central America and bring peace to like transnational gangs. This was like my tunnel vision. Okay. Always doing this work from an arts-based perspective, but never thinking that arts was like a, a viable platform or a space for me. 
through a wild series of events that involved having to go to grad school to get funding for the community organizing work that I was doing, um, I ended up in Liberia and I met a rapper. And the story's getting more and more interesting. <laughs> it's such a, like, it really is, you know, I think, I, I think a lot about um, how much like we put pressure on people to know what they want to do and we pigeonhole them. And, you know, we ask kids, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. And at six years old, they're supposed to make this decision forever. And there's like so much pressure around that. And part of this like anti-capitalist perspective is to allow yourself to kind of experiment and make mistakes and like try different things because your job is not who you are. It's just what you do. Yeah. Um, so long story short, I met this rapper. I got peer pressured into managing this rapper. He was political. I was doing arts for change, like entertainment education based work. And I was like, y'all, I'm trying to overthrow capitalism. I don't know anything about business, let alone music business. And the truth of it was like, I thought being a business person was an ugly thing. Like mm. that's not me. Like, I, I had never seen people who looked like me but really who like shared my value system yeah. in business people. So I just didn't know there was a space for me, but they peer pressured me. And I ended up becoming the first music manager in Liberia. That was over a decade ago. Um, and through there, turned out I was good at it. I took all this like community organizing principles that I had learned and these like project management skills and things like that, applied that to building out a career for this artist. Um, and when I left Liberia, I just had all these relationships. And so that turned into Culture Fix and the consulting and, um, and all the other stuff. And so really it was a, a gradual progression of, lead, of really like trusting myself yeah. that the things that make me different, I'm, I'm not going, you know, the things that make me different are what make me good at what I do. Um, and I will find my customers or my clients or whatever by leaning more into that rather than shying away from some of the things that I think are uncomfortable for people like calling myself anti-capitalist. I'm not for everybody and that's okay. Um, but the people who really get that, then we do amazing work together. Yeah. And I heard you talk about like being clear on your values and now it sounds like you bring those into your business. So how can we, like, let's just say I'm a new entrepreneur, which I know many, many people listening are, even if you're an established entrepreneur, sometimes we kind of get off track in what we've built and don't really know why, which usually it does come back to the values, right? But then it's like, well, how do I even identify what are my values? Is it my personal values? Does the business have its own values? Are those the same thing? Yeah. I, I mean, I think part of it is, is really carving out time to sit with those questions. And so often as entrepreneurs under capitalism, we're like, do more, grow, scale, bigger. And we don't think that questions like that are a good use of time. Mm -hmm. And so part of the anti-capitalist approach is to value values or value the interpersonal piece. And so thinking about what are your values as an individual, how does that connect to company or business culture? Um, what values do you want your customer base to have? Cause you might be like, now, nah, if you're coming in here with this value system, we don't want to serve you and trusting that you as a business owner have the right to say no, or you don't have to serve everybody. Um, so I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is then asking yourself, where do these values come from? And I think a big thing is 
a lot of us suffer from miswanting because we don't ever take time to investigate our values or even like our ideas of success. What does success actually look like for me? What does success actually feel like for me? And it might not be the big house and the fancy cars and like 250 employees. It might be spending your afternoon at the dog park or being able to have time luxury. Um, And so taking time to ask yourself, where did this come from for me? Mm -hmm. And as we start to separate the things that we've been told we should want through through cultural institutions, through political systems, right? Education, family, church, consumerism, media, all this kind of stuff, you tap into yourself more. Mm -hmm. Um, And the last thing I'll say about that is sometimes it's a process of trial and error. You don't know until you try it and you're like, oh no, that felt icky. Okay, cool. Then you're not down with that. Or, okay, that felt really good. All right, cool. Let's lean into that. And so I think oftentimes as entrepreneurs and as creative people, because entrepreneurship is a creative activity, um, we expect to have it all figured out from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And you just don't know until you do things sometimes. So it's also giving yourself permission to kind of figure it out as you go and allow your business to grow and evolve um, as you spend more time kind of experimenting and playing within it. Yeah. I love that. And for, so I'm, my question then is, can you give maybe like two or three examples of what a value would be for anyone that's like struggling with even envisioning, like Mm -hmm. what is even a value that I could think of to help kind of spark other ideas? Yeah. So like for me, one of my biggest values is I work with people who feel it feels good for us to work together. That's a tricky thing, I think, for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially when you're just starting out, because you might offer me a lot of money or you might offer me like this thing that I perceive as an opportunity. But every time we get on Zoom, I'm like anxious or I feel icky about it or it just, you know, you meet with people sometimes and it just feels like tense and you're like, why does this? And so for me, one of the values is because I work for myself and because I'm about, I don't want to feel bad when I'm working with someone. Mm. And so I've given myself the permission to say, I'm not for you or you're not for me and trust that in letting that go, I'm, uh, I'm respecting and honoring my values. And also, right. It's creating space for me to give that. And rather than this partnership, that's not a good fit, sucking all my soul and sucking my energy. And then I don't have time to go do the other things I need to do. I can say no to this. And then that energy and that like emotional capacity I can put towards other things. And so this is again, part of that anti-capitalist piece is we value things other than money. So my energy, my emotional capacity, my like space to be like, Hey, I feel good. So I'm going to go do more work is just as valuable as like, Oh, this client could have written me a big check. But at the end of the day, I can just like, you know, I can't do anything else. So you know, that's one thing. I think another thing to think about it is how, what impact do you want to have in your community and how accessible do you want to be? So for me as a coach, I really strongly believe as a feminist that I should always name my standard price. But as an anti-capitalist, I think that you should never, money should never be the reason why we don't work together. Mm. So I've created systems where we can play around finances so that people can access me 
without me undermining myself or undervaluing. Can you give an example? Because I think that is something a lot of people struggle with is like, I want to help everyone. Not everyone can afford, but how do I help people without having to like do work for free and then resent the work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this comes up all the time. You don't have to help everyone. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Like if you want to price yourself high, cool. Build out a network of like YouTube. Like for me, if you can't afford me for one-on-one, you can subscribe to my newsletter. You can watch my YouTube channel. You can follow my Instagram. There's other ways you can slide in my DMs and I'll answer your questions. Like there's different kind of levels and tiers that I've created that allow me to protect my energy, protect my time, but be accessible. And if it's not for me and it really like just doesn't feel like a good fit, I can say no to you and refer you out to someone else, which now makes our business part of a collaborative like system Mm. where I also realize that I'm not in competition with you. We can actually support each other. So I could throw business your way. You could throw business my way. So it's okay to say no, doesn't make you any less like down for the cause right? Which I think is, is something, especially those of us who have like social impact focus, there's a lot of that pressure of like, well, it's not about the money. No, it's not about the money. And we need money to survive. Yeah. And <laughs> you don't hear like rich white dudes ever say it's not about the money. No. <laughs> but that's something that as, as women, as queer folks, as others, right? As people of color, we've internalized it's a way to make ourselves small, to say, oh, it's not about money because yeah. we don't think we have a right to asking for what we deserve. And we can get into all the, like how imposter syndrome is like cultivated in us to make us mm-hmm. not ask, you know, like we can get into all of that. So I think the first piece of that is you don't have to be everything to everyone. Yeah. It's okay to like pass it out to other people. And even pricing, you don't know. When I first, y'all for real, for real, when I first started consulting, I was charging like 40, 50 bucks. <laughs> And when people pay, first of all, let's be really honest, right? The idea that I could get paid for what I do was because I was like, oh, I'm just think, like, I'm just thinking we're just yeah. having a conversation, right? Not valuing in myself how much emotional output I was putting in with my clients, how much of what I was providing was based in like all my years of experience and like what literal blood, sweat and tears that I had put in, right? So then when people were down to pay me, I was like, oh, okay. So what about like $50? Right. <laughs> and then they were like, yeah. And I was like, okay, so like 60. <laughs> we, I, and I, we don't talk enough about that part. Cause we all want to pretend like, yeah, I'm a multi-million dollar, blah, 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 which half the time isn't true, but also like when we don't talk about that process of like, how do we get there? How do we build up to that? Then it creates, you know, you see people from the outside. And so you can't help but feel like, well, why aren't I doing that? Or mm-hmm. I'm not good at, it, or I should start there. Yeah. And then you set an impossible thing for yourself. So play around with price, like play around with pricing. You can always change your price. Yes, you can. Um, and I think that's one of the big things is like allowing yourself to just play in your business, um, and figure it out with like trial and error, like making mistakes because you don't, have you ever done this before? No, no one taught me how to be a business person. Yeah. And so giving ourselves, like, if you, like, I have little nieces and they're like learning things for the first time. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like a toddler right now. 
in my bit, you know, like giving mm. yourself that kind of like compassion and gentleness, yeah. then you can allow yourself to build a business that just feels good to you. Yeah. I, I love that you said that because my first offer was $25 and I think I had <laughs> four or five people sign up and I was so excited about each of those $25. And I have offers now that go up to $50,000, but I couldn't have started there. I just, one, I didn't even, didn't really didn't know what I was doing, but my confidence wasn't there. I didn't believe in it myself. Um, but I was excited about those 20, that $25. Like it was like, oh my gosh, someone's actually going to pay me for the thing that like I do with ease and, oh, they're actually getting a result from this thing. Amazing. And like, that was like a boost of confidence that I needed. And, And to your point, I think there is so much noise online with oh, I run a six-figure business or a seven-figure business, which like, fine, great. Um, One, as I've said on prior episodes, you don't know what their expenses are. (laughs) So, you know, even I share very openly, like, yes, we're a seven-figure business, but that's not my salary. I don't get to take that home. I have people to pay. Like I have things to do. Like there's big expenses. And I think people aren't as transparent about that. There are months where there are no sales. There are months where there are tons of sales and we only see the end result. You don't see the six years that I've been building this business little by little, had to go into debt for things, had to take out loans for things. Like, and I think it's really important, as you were saying, not to just look at this flashy number, but also as something you also said, I really resonate with, I think, especially as people who identify, I find this very much more often with people who identify as women and especially women of color, we have this thing around, we're not allowed to say that we want to make money. And I'm like, we live in a world where money is a resource. Why wouldn't you want to make money? Like what? I I, I don't understand. (laughs) Like you can be a good human and really want to help people and want to be paid those two things don't like contradict each other. It's okay. Well, this, is, this is one of the things that comes up all the time when people are like, well, if you're anti-capitalist, why do you want to get paid? And mm. I'm like, well, first of all, that's not, but that's not what anti-capitalism is, right? It's really about compensating and valuing labor for its work, mm-hmm. right? So it's about not exploiting people. And that includes not exploiting yourself. Yeah. So you're doing all the, and I think as, especially now, right. Where everyone is like DEI diversity, like (laughs) what I bring as a woman of color to whatever I do is a unique perspective is a unique understanding. It's all these things that are intangibles, right? It's really all the things that as women, we were shamed for being too emotional, too sensitive. Those are actually skill. That's actually compassion. That's actually empathy. That's actually emotional intelligence. That's emotional intelligence, right? So you're not like, there's nothing wrong in being valued and being valued. And you can decide how you want to be valued, right? It could be cash. It could be introductions. It could be, I don't know, co-working space. It could, you can decide that, but it's about not allowing yourself to be exploited right? because you bring value. And the other thing, just going a little bit back to what you were saying, right? About that comparison piece is we don't know what people's costs are. Nope. We also don't know what privilege people have in starting their business. hundred percent. So, there's a big difference if you're a single parent versus you're in a two-parent household with a nanny, or if you've got student loans and student debt, or you don't have student debt, or if you're living in a city that has easy public transportation 
or you have to take the bus three hours a week. Like we don't all have the same 24 hours. We're not all starting at the same place. We don't all have the same resources. If, if you're, you know, if you're living at home with your parents, that's very different than if you've got to pay rent in a major city. Like there's all these things that we don't see. And I think there's also this, and this is like very American dream manifest destiny, like, you know, like us nonsense of like, I did it on my own. And I think it's not true. You didn't do it on your own, no matter how, like, I hate the term solopreneur because like mm-hmm. you didn't do it on your own, but we, in neglecting the resources that we start off with, we uphold or re like reinforce this mythology that this is solo work. Yeah. And that's also not true. And then it stops us from asking for help. It stops us from reaching out to each other. It stops us from taking full advantage of the privileges that we do have and then paying it forward so others can have those privileges too. And I think that's the other part that we like don't talk enough about. Oh yeah. Cause even for myself, like I did not come from a rich family, but even my ability to be able to have a credit card that had X amount of dollars available to now invest in a business. Not everyone has credit on a credit card available that they can invest in a business. Not everyone can take out a loan. Like that in itself is a privilege. And I think we hear a lot, don't compare your chapter 10 to someone's, your chapter one to someone's chapter 10. But I also think chapter one can be completely different. Not the same for everybody. And that's yeah. not even to talk about like, what trauma do you carry? But like our chapter ones are not the same. And I think the biggest, one of the biggest myths, especially for those of us in the US is the fact that everyone has the same chance and everyone comes from... So there's a little bit of like cultural gaslighting because we don't acknowledge that it's not the same. And that's that's a real part of how we build businesses in this country. Yeah. So how do we then build this business in the way that we want and it's fun and it's all the things, but like I've got real bills to pay, Nora. So how do I do that? Yeah. So I think one is to really think about like, what is your business strategy? I work with a lot of musicians, right? And musicians would be like, oh, let's make music and put it on the internet. That's not a business strategy, <laughs> right? Like you, it's really about thinking about how are you going to make money? And is it through your product or is it through leverage? Like just taking time to think about what are the streams of income? That's like probably the most like, MBA answer you're ever going to get from me, but like just having a plan and having a strategy. I think the other thing that's important is, um, is that distracting? Uh, I just started to hear it. Okay. Let me close the door. Hold yeah. on. We're in like such a flow. I know. Editing team, please cut this part. <laughs> I mean, this is also like real life, right? Like this is business in 2022 is we're at my house and the gardeners and like under other circumstances, we might say this is unprofessional, but redefining professionalism is part of this whole conversation. Right. Like, um, but going back to, can you ask me the question again? And I can like punch in. I don't even remember my question. Oh yes. So, okay. So we want to build this business. We want to have fun with it. We want to do what lights us up, but like we've got real bills or I'm still working my nine to five because my business is making enough money. So I only have two hours a day to work on my business. Like how do we do the anti-capitalist business model when we still have real life responsibilities in a capitalistic society? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is to just really like build out a business plan and really think about 
how are you going to make money? What are your costs? What are your possible like income streams? Um, and business plan, I know is one of those things when I say it, people are like, <gasps> your business plan, like don't Google business plan. Yeah, no, <laughs> don't, it doesn't have to look like that. Doodle it, like journal it, whatever, like your process is, but just taking time to think about what are the ways that money is going to come to you in this business is something you should put some time into. Um, and yeah, that's like the most MBA answer I'm going to give you the, um, the other thing is entrepreneurship or like running a business is not all or nothing. And that's, I think one of the other myths is like, well, I can't have like a day job, work at Starbucks, do 12 hours at a yoga studio. Like you have bills and that's real. So if that means you pick up a side hustle somewhere that like pays your bills so that you can do the other thing, that's totally fine. And eventually what will happen is if you're working 40 hours a week at like a traditional full-time job, and then, then you work 38 hours and then you work 35 hours because your side hustle is becoming right. It, there's like, a, you can't see me because we're yeah. on the but I'm like, <laughs> I'm demonstrating with my hands the way that you can kind of gradually transition from one to the other. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And I think the pressure to be like, all right, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to do this thing full time put so much pressure because when you have financial urgency, you will make different decisions than if you mm -hmm. don't have financial urgency. And so if you have the capacity to allow for transition, um, or if you have the privilege of saving before you go, you know, thinking about the financial piece, then you can build a business that's much more responsive to your needs and your customer needs rather than reactive to whatever I need to do with money. Yeah. I love that. I would love to hear a little bit about your thoughts on imposter syndrome. I know that's like a buzzword in our space in the online coaching world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you seem to have an interesting perspective. So would love to hear. So I think even the language of imposter syndrome individualizes something that's actually really cultural and systemic. I have imposter syndrome. So somehow there's something wrong with me because I don't think it's good enough. I don't think I'm good enough, but it doesn't investigate. Well, where did that come from? Mm -hmm. And so imposter syndrome, as much as we talk about it as something like some inherent problem in how I view myself is actually a symptom of white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, xenophobia, colonialism, and all these other things. I learned as a woman of color that I'm not good enough for these positions because that's what living in America has taught me and has told me about myself. And so imposter syndrome really is something that is cultivated in us. Why? Because what it does is one, it makes me work harder so that I prove myself to you. I have to convince you that I deserve to be here, that I'm mm. as smart as everyone, you know, all that kind of stuff. And because I don't think I'm good enough, I will ask and accept less. So yeah. it's a win-win. It's not a win-win. It's a win-lose, right? It's a win for these companies and like capitalistic systems in America to make you do more and ask for less and accept, right? So one of the things I, so like the solution to imposter syndrome is not like, build your confidence. I mean, it kind of is, but what I always, I'm like, dude, you got to channel your inner white dude, take all that entitlement and know that you're probably overqualified because you're overthinking. 
Yeah. You're probably more. So there's, so there's two things I tell people around imposter syndrome. One is to really like chant. Think about that mediocre ass person who really does not deserve to be where they are, but they just are there with their full chest and channel that energy because you are six times better than that. Um, and I know we can all think about those people who have yeah. just failed up, right? <laughs> and then the other thing is I tell all my clients to create a shine page. Mm. And what this is, is our brains especially if our brains are used to constantly having to protect us from microaggressions and all this other stuff, our brains are always going to scan for danger. So we forget the good things that we do and we over-exaggerate. Oh, well, I messed up on that project or I said the wrong thing in this meeting. And so having a place where you write it down and like, let it be notes app in your phone, a page in your journal, a whiteboard in your office, like whatever it is, where you physically write down or record the things that you are killing it at. And it could be, I closed the six figure deal today. Yes. It could be, I stood up for myself to this person, like however big or small, personal, professional, political, like whatever it is, have a place where you write that shit down. One, so that you remember it, but two, so you create a new narrative against all these external things that we're hearing about ourselves. So the next time that you feel like, oh, I'm not good enough, you go to your shine page and you say, no, actually, here is physical proof. Let me fact check this negative thinking. Here is physical proof that actually I am that great. And I am that wonderful, right? And this isn't on some like toxic positivity shit. This yeah. is like really because we live in a world that's telling us so much untruth. You need to be really intentional about creating space of truth and affirmation for yourself. So before you're going to a negotiation or a client meeting or a date or whatever it might be that like you feel some kind of way about, that shine page becomes both emotional and physical proof of actually this imposter syndrome is a lie and here are the truths about myself. I love that. I do something really similar, but a little bit different called a brag book with my clients where when they're first about to start, they go to people in their circle and ask them like, what do you see as my value to your life? How do I add value to you? And people get all these amazing responses back about things. You know, I think we think we just do things and it's natural for us. And then when someone mirrors back to you, like, no, I, every, anytime I have this going on, like you're my go-to person or you've helped me so much with this. It's like, wow, I didn't know I had this big impact on my coworker or my friend or my partner or whoever. And just reminding like that you're already doing amazing things for so many people. Um, so I love, love the, I'm going to make my own little, is the shine page? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Name like one. Yeah. <laughs> this has been great. Where can we follow you, learn about what you're doing, what you have coming up? Um, so I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter at Nora Rahimian. Um, there's a link tree that I'm sure you can share, uh, yeah. sign up for my newsletter. My newsletter is really fun y'all. Um, and is always like lots of community and lots of resources, literally like my DMS are always open. I really believe in the communal piece of this work. Um, so if you have a question or something resonated with you, like respectfully, like, let's, I think, I think, like I said, this piece about like, the more we do things separately, the less we're able to create cultural shifts. And I think part of this conversation is 
creating a cultural shift around how we can exist in business, how we can do business, that business doesn't have to be the way that like someone's grandfather did it 50 years ago or a hundred years ago. And so this is like our version of it. And so community and connection is part of that. So at Nora Rahimian on all the socials, at Nora Rahimian at Gmail, slide in the DM, send me an email, like all that good stuff. I would really love to hear from folks. Awesome. Thank you so much. And hope to do this more often because talking to you is amazing. I know this is helpful for a lot of people, just reframing some things and thinking about the way that we can do business differently. I will link uh, Nora's link tree in the show notes so you can connect with her as well. And I will talk to you next week. Thanks, Nora. Thank you so much. I hope this episode gives you more clarity and proof that you can create a life you truly love. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to connect and serve those who are ready to use their ideas and experiences to positively impact the lives of others. If you want to connect more, follow me on Instagram at The Bravo Life.